Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to another episode of Maximize Your Influence. We're here at episode 45. I'm Steve Olson alongside, well, I guess virtually alongside Kurt Mortensen. Kurt, how's it going today? How you feeling? Feeling good. Glad to be here. Let's talk about the world of persuasion. I think that we're going to get to that today. Oh, good. I didn't know what we're going to hit on today. Yeah, well, if you, were to listen, if you were to listen to all the previous shows, you might wonder. Uh, <laughs> so we get into debates about chicken wings and sports and... Uh, all kinds of random things, but eventually we bring it back, and that's what we're going to do today. We've got a good study for you in the whole are you a cat person or are you a dog person debate and how it pertains to persuasion, because yes, of course it does. We wouldn't just bring some random cat and dog study onto the show. We've got a ninja, we have a blunder, and we're going to continue exploring the concept of charisma and how you can become more charismatic and get better results in your business and in your life. So that's what's on tap for today. Kurt, you've got this cat and dog study. What nerdy journal does it come out of? Well, no nerdy journal this time. It was actually at the meeting that I'm sure everyone was at, at the Association of Psychological Science. Oh, geez, <laughs> you got me. I tried to get you on the journal. This, so I'm not sure what journal they're going to put it in. I'm sure it's going to make it into journal, but this is like pre-journal, cutting edge, things you need to know, sit down right now. What's the difference between dog people and cat people, right? This is cutting edge stuff. Oh, yes, I can tell. <laughs> so this study suggests that dog people and cat people have different personalities. And I'll just interject, well, duh. <laughs> uh, yeah. I think we kind of knew that. But it suggests, and here's where we're going to offend people, that dog owners tend to be more lively, outgoing, and rule-following, while cat owners are typically more introverted, sensitive, non-conforming, and open-minded. Okay. <laughs> And sorry, dog owners, the cat owners scored a little bit higher on the intelligence tests. So. Really? <laughs> yeah. So the one explanation they came up with, well, our personality does going to depend. Are you going to choose a cat or dog? I guess we can even expand it to a snake, a hamster, a what's the one? What are the ones called? Uh, a ferret. Yeah, you could choose a ferret. I don't know yeah. what that's going to dictate. Uh -huh. But they did a study with college students, 600 of them, and they asked them, are you a dog lover, are you a cat lover? And it's very rarely both. I mean, probably because in the house it's hard for dogs and cats to get along. But dog lovers are the majority, around 60%. And dog lovers like the companionship, that quality, that affection, that being more of an extrovert as far as the dog lover is concerned. Versus, you know, the cat lovers depend on themselves more independent. They are more cautious of others. And it's just interesting how our personalities, which no right or wrong, good or bad, dog or cat, ferret or snake, right? We tend to choose animals based on our personality. And there's always been that big rift between dogs and cats, man, best friends, cats, and intelligence, not intelligence, outgoing, not outgoing. But it was just interesting that they actually spent money <laughs> yes. to find out that dog lovers are typically more extroverted or outgoing and conscientious versus the cat owners, of course, were more introverted and they were more independent and just a little bit more intelligent. So I'm not sure if we've offended everyone out there, but that's the reality that's interesting. And that's important to 
No, as a persuader, I think if you went to someone's house, that could tell you a lot about the person. Or if they have a picture of their 17 cats, could tell you something about the person versus if they have a pit bull versus a uh, – what's the opposite of a pit bull? <laughs> oh, geez. I don't know. A Some poodle. Kind of a poodle. A pit yeah. bull versus a poodle. Right? It's going to tell you something about the person. So that's one little cue that you could understand dogs versus cats. The animals people have often dictate their personality, which can adapt your persuasive presentation. Now, I'm going to put in two things here, and I'd be curious to see what the listeners think, what you think, Kurt. Two little adjustments to the study. I bet you the breed of dog may have a different different effect on the personality. And, and I'll insult the cat people here. I don't know how many different breeds of cats there are. I, I don't know that it's as... 4,322. Oh, okay. You're, no, Kurt, I just made that up. I don't know. Kurt's a cat person. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to claim being a dog person, but I just uh, threw out that number. Okay, know. okay, fair enough. <laughs> now, I'm going to also add to the study that the higher quantity of cats that you have, the lower the intelligence is. <laughs> is this based on your looking at all those homes that are need to be sold or, or uh, torn down? I think so. I see in a lot of them the common theme of many, many cats. <laughs> <laughs> so as you're going to add, so the quantity of the animal dictates the intelligence, but also the type of it. I think especially for dogs, because I think you're right. Someone who's training a, a pit bull to attack, be an attack dog, is a lot different than someone who's training a poodle for a dog show. I would tend to agree. I w- There'd be some similarities being the dog, but I think that's a big part of it too, especially with dogs. Again, I don't know that much more about cats. I'm sure breed matters, but not so much as the variety that there are in dogs. Yeah, variety and quantity. I, I think that that's key. Although so, if you get a pet tiger or lion, that probably means some other things too, since they are in the cat family. Yes, yes. <laughs> so go ahead and add to the list of those who have been offended, multiple cat owners now have been offended. Congratulations. There we go. Got yes. that off, cross it off the list. It's offend off. the people. Okay, good. <laughs> so let's continue forward in talking about uh, the, the concept of charisma. Now, the, the characteristic, and you have this in your book called Laws of Charisma that we're going to talk about today, is competence. Not confidence, competence. You know what you're doing. You're not an idiot. That's my quick and dirty definition of competence. (laughs) And I think that we've all seen it before where you've worked with somebody in sales that knew the product better than anybody in the whole office or in the whole business, but they just weren't really putting up a lot of good numbers. So I think it's possible to go too far on competence. Everybody's going to, like you have the duh factor earlier in the study that, well, yeah, you have to have some competence to be a good persuader, to be charismatic. Duh. But you can have too much is what I'm saying. Do you agree with that? Too much competence? Hmm. Or maybe... I guess you try, when that crosses the bridge to cockiness, to where you know it all and shut up, you're going to tell you what to do type of a thing. Is that what you're talking about? I think it's more of you might know everything in the world about the product, but it's how you display that to the prospect. Because just because you know all of it doesn't mean it needs to be on display all of the time. I agree with that because there's a couple things. When you know everything, you tend to vomit, right? The 47 reasons why they should do right, it. Right, right. You're coming across what you're telling them to do it. And sometimes you are a little arrogant with when the person feels stupid. Well, duh, didn't you know that it had two terabytes of fill in the blank there? And uh, people do come across that way. But then on the other hand, too, I love what Lawrence Peter says. He says, competence like truth, beauty, and contact lenses is in the eye of the beholder, right? <laughs> very true, so, very true. So it depends. You could be the most competent person 
and not come across that way. You could be that idiot person you were talking about, but still come across as competent with the way you ask questions, being the consultant, understanding their needs. So there's kind of a happy medium there to where you're not coming across as just because people want the expert, but they don't want to be put into a corner and feel stupid that they should have known what you know. So let's break that down then. Let's take aside the fact that you may know a lot or you may not know a lot about your product or your client or whatever it is. Like you just said, it's in the eye of the beholder. How do we manage that perception of competence with our prospects? Well, competence, of course, consists of your knowledge and your capability and your field. And it comes from lifelong learning. It comes from your skills, your talents, your knowledge, how you come across. So it's going to be a combination of all those. You need to be the expert because we've talked about this before. When you're the expert, there's very little persuasion resistance. Just I mean, the example of the brain surgeon. That's great that they graduated top of their class 20, 30 years ago, but what do they learn now? What have they learned? Are they a lifelong learner? And that's a critical thing because the studies are amazing here when it comes to competence. That It does a couple things to us. When we don't feel competent, like we come into a situation where we think they know more than us or the competition's there or maybe we're intimidated that they're the CEO – that it limits our abilities to persuade, it limits our ability to even pursue our goals. And when we do feel competent, when we know our stuff, when we know we're prepared to go into a meeting, so part of competence is being prepared and, and knowing your stuff, it increases motivation, reduces fear, and enhances our ability to exude that charisma. So there's a couple things here. When we, we have to go in feeling confident. And I've mentioned this study before that just feeling influential makes you more influential. So just feeling competent that you've done your research, that you know the answers, that's very important. Because when you look at critical things that you need in business, it's one of those is competence, knowing what you're doing. But you have to feel that way before you go in or it will backfire on you. You know, something interesting about that, I work with investors, as I've mentioned a billion times on the show, and a lot of them are new and they're afraid to ask certain questions to, to people that they're looking or that they're working with because they don't want to look new. They don't want to be written off as, oh, this guy's a newbie. I'm not going to work with him. And what's funny is I'm pretty seasoned in this business, in real estate, and I know a lot of things, but there are plenty of things that I don't know. And there have been times where a client of mine, because they're new, they've asked a question and they felt totally not competent or confident when doing it. And then I've asked the same question because I legitimately didn't know, but because I, on the whole, I was competent, that it didn't seem odd to the person I was asking the question to that I would do it because I was comfortable in my knowledge and I knew that, hey, look, you know, because you don't know this thing doesn't mean that you're an idiot or that you're incompetent. And I think that that's where a lot of people really trip themselves up is they feel like asking a question, asking a genuine question makes them not competent. And I really don't think that's the case. I think it's actually the opposite. If you're not afraid to ask a question and you know how to do it the right way, I think people perceive you more favorably. What do you think about that? I agree. It goes back to the doctor of selling example. They're, you're visiting a doctor or even a lawyer. They're going to sit there and ask you questions. When you're with that lawyer, that doctor, they're going to ask you, what about this? Have you felt this? Are you doing this? Are you doing right? We want that so they can make the right diagnosis. And that would be true. Now, if you asked a question, that you should know the answer to or offends them or backs them into a corner, then you might be crossing that line. But if you're sincere in asking that question, you're the consultant, you're listing, you're the doctor, you are trying to 
get the right information. So with your competence, you can help to make the right decision. Then you'll be more influential. We had told the story on the show previously about how my wife was at the doctor and they were talking about antibiotics. And uh, she mentioned a, a condition that she had had once related to antibiotics and he didn't know what it was. And he proceeded to Google it right in front of her. And I think that that is really what you're saying here is right. Well, that's a question that you should know the answer to, right? If exactly. You're, you're, you're an OBGYN. We're having a discussion about antibiotics and in modern birthing, uh, that's one where you might want to say, well, that's not something that we typically run across a lot. I can consult with some of my resources and colleagues and, and get you a little bit better of an answer there. It's just not something that we really hit a lot. Instead of, huh, what's that? Google, <laughs> right? <laughs> or it might even be, let's talk about that in a second. Before I do, I need to get five minutes to go see another patient. Then in the hallway, at least Google it there where you can't see uh -huh. it, right? Yeah, yeah. So you can be like, oh, about your question, let's answer it now. Right. <laughs> Might be a lot better than the way he did it. I think so. But I think you've made a really good point about how there are some things that you're just supposed to know. And so asking a question about, yeah, it's going to make you look bad. But when you've done the research and when you've put in the time and you know you're a legitimate expert in your field and somebody says something that you don't know what it is, then you're probably it's probably a question that it's not really that bad that you don't know. And a lot of times it happens with acronyms. In my business, it does. Somebody will say, well, can you get the, you know, what's the LTV here? What's that? They use some weird term or acronym where I know that if they elaborate a little bit on it, I know exactly what they're talking about it, but they're just calling it something else that I'm not used to hearing. It happened the other day. And I, I told the person, look, I'm embarrassed to say that. Wait, w w what is that? What, what does that stand for? And they explained it. I said, oh, okay, you're talking about xyz and they said yeah so i didn't lose any points in the competence department so i think when you're well read and you feel pretty good about your topic it's okay to ask questions but uh, certainly there are the no-brainers you've got to know the answer to <laughs> the basic basics and, and part of that to competence is is learning from your mistakes sometimes admitting that you're wrong using experience as a future tool but your goal is to become the best in your field. Make it obvious that you're beyond proficient. And my advice here is, I'm assuming, and I know you shouldn't do that, you probably know, I'm talking to all our listeners here, you know or you should know more than 99% of the people out there. I mean, this is your business. This is your industry. This is what you know. You need to act like it to a certain extent. You are the expert. You have the competence. You can solve their problem. You need to feel that competence. Remember that study. When you feel competent, right, it increases motivation and reduces fear. Right, right. And you said in your book that uh, the reality is that we're all incompetent in everything until we make ourselves competent. And we got to keep focused and keep learning until we feel that we can demonstrate competence in our field. So I, I would think that the theme there, Kurt, is truly competent people never stop trying to be competent. You're never done. Is that right? They're always learning. They're always growing. I've mentioned it before. They have a personal development program. They're listening to audios in their car. They're going to the seminars. They're reading the books. They're taking the experts out to lunch. They're always learning and growing. So the challenge that I have with a lot of people, and this is getting worse and worse, is they might go golfing once. And, oh, it didn't work. It wasn't fun. I mean, I think everyone, the first time they golfed, wasn't the best experience. But as you start doing, and this applies to anything, you start to get better at it. You start to get more competent. But you can't gauge your future success on the very first time you golf or give a presentation or do your first sales pitch. Whatever it is, you can't gauge on that. You're always learning. You're always growing. And after every time you try to influence somebody, you ask yourself, okay, what did I do well? What can I do better? 
Very, very true. What's the one takeaway then that we can give the listeners about about projecting that competence? What would you say there? Or there well, might I would be say two. that, of course, it's a perception. It doesn't uh-huh. matter if you're the smartest one in your field. But there are other things you can do. You can borrow competence sometimes. Having somebody else endorse you could be one of those. Your office and external surroundings can radiate competence or incompetence. We hate to say this, but a messy desk can hurt your competence. Keep your reputation untarnished, right? And even things like degrees, accreditation, titles, all those type of things can help with competence. Even though, you know, you walk into that doctor's office, you know there's a degree on the wall, the lawyer's office, that little subtle thing, the surroundings, how you act, having other people endorse you can increase or decrease your competence. There you have it. There you have it. Let's move on. Cue up Homer. Homer, bring it in. Don't, don't, don't. There he is. We have a blunder incoming, and I actually don't know the names. These are two different individuals that I squared off against in bidding for a piece of real estate on Friday. And it was actually on Friday the 13th, so I hope the deal turns out okay. <laughs> um, but what was interesting, and this really goes back to competence, Kurt, because this was a situation where a seller of a distressed piece of real estate needed to sell uh, very quickly and was looking for some cash offers. These offers would, of course, be well below market because of the distressed nature of the real estate. Well, she had called three different people to come look at the house and make her an offer. I was number two. So I got out there after number one and found out what number one had offered, and I did my numbers. And because I knew where I needed to be on the property, I knew where the value was, I gave her an offer that she really liked. She actually cried when (laughs) I gave her the offer. This was the good kind. That's a good cry, yeah. Yes, yes. And so knowing full well that another person would be coming behind me and that they would be making an offer and that they would probably know what my number was when they made the offer, I gave myself a way out and I said, now, so-and-so might come here after me and if they tell you something higher... It's because they know something that I don't. So will you promise me that if they give you a higher number, you'll at least call me and give me a few minutes to figure out what it is I'm missing here? So I gave myself a little bit of a way out there. But what happened was the other person came and they said, well, I think it would be this, but we're going to have to verify by tomorrow. What they thought it would be was a little higher than where I was, right? So she called me back and she said, here's where they are. And I said, okay, tell you what, if I come over there tomorrow morning at 9 a.m. with a purchase agreement and I can do this number, do we have a verbal handshake right here and right now that we have a deal? And she said, absolutely. Her her words were, I want to sell it to you, kiddo. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) So I I definitely had the rapport going there and... uh, but and, and she had a dog. I pet, you know made friends with the dog, and they love that, right? You get that people skill thing going. And I went over there, 9 a.m., had a signed contract, and the, the other person was following up the next afternoon. And what did the seller say? Sorry, I already signed a contract. So because I knew quickly and was more competent in my numbers, I was able to swoop in and get the deal a lot faster than the other people. And they are the blunder because you got to know what your competition's going to do when they're going to do it. This is a pretty cutthroat business, and so you are the blunder. I believe the agent was with uh, Keller Williams in this case. So There you go, blunder. And that's important. When people don't like you, they don't trust you. Even though you have a better offer, a lot of times you're going to lose the business because we want to do business with people we trust and we like, and so that's part of it too. 
that you were able to develop that relationship and become the kiddo that's right <laughs> in this deal <laughs> <laughs> exactly right so that that's a good uh, blunder story but we've also got a ninja cue up the ninja all right here's ninja all right well been having internet problems right internet's going in and out wi-fi is in and out and that's problematic for any place, especially business, and this is my home office. And our, of course, we call the cable people, the Xfinity people to come, and they were finding this and this noise and all these challenges. But the thing was, is uh, I guess I'm a dog person. We have a dog in the house. This is little, one of those littler dogs, little crossbreed that has a probably a bark bigger than its bite. In fact, I don't think there is any bite. But and I don't know who trained this person, but the person came in, smiled, asked if they could pet the dog, and I said, "Sure, go ahead." And they had a special dog treat biscuit for the dog and they asked do you mind if we give your dog this little treat which instantly made the dog best friends with this guy and the barking stopped and it made me say wow who trained this guy this is really interesting because to a lot of people the dog's part of the family and now all of a sudden the dog likes the cable guy and we like the cable company a little bit more and it was just a great interesting thing they didn't have to do it i don't know if he did it on his own i don't know if that was part of the corporate training but i said hey two thumbs up for being able to read the situation and have a dog treat on your person. Now, I don't know if he was using it for the bigger dogs that would save his life from a personal experience he had before, but in this situation, it worked out really well. That's a really cool story because, like you said, the dog is a member of the family in a lot of cases, but a lot of times, too, they're a horrible heckler. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> they're, true. They're barking. They're in the other room freaking out. They're jumping up on you, and if you can win that dog over... Not only have you created a better atmosphere for yourself, but it's kind of like when somebody sees you show their kids some affection or, or be nice to their kids. It just melts them instantly, and they like you because you were nice to their dog, which is a member of their family, like you were saying. It is. It's a member of their family, and you, you got a good point. It is the heckler now, and the dog's barking the whole time and freaking out. It makes everybody tense, the dog owner, the cable people, and if he could take care of that right away, which... He did. Now, all of a sudden, everyone's happy. There's a connection there. There's no barking. And he gets 10 points for making that connection. And those points, I mean, where do you redeem those? What do you get? At the... No idea. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> you can redeem those at the Persuasion Store. How's that? The Persuasion Store. Okay, great. One point is equal to one one-hundredth of a, a cent. <laughs> Right? There you go. Yeah, okay. At the Bitcoin store. They, are they still in <laughs> yeah. business? Didn't they really get out of business? I think that, no, they're in business. They got a bunch of competitors out there now, too, from uh, what I understand. That's a really cool ninja. I, th I think that's very effective. So if you're in the door to door business or you're in the business where you're going into people's homes where you're likely to encounter a dog, you should seriously take a dog treat with you because, wow, I think it solves so many problems all at once. It is, and you have that connection, and it's such a simple, inexpensive thing. So if you're doing door-to-door -door or you're in people's homes, it might be something to think about. That story I was telling about the blunder, this woman, she has a, a German Shepherd, and I was petting the dog, and we were you know, kind of running around a little bit, and, and she was just loving it, right? I think that probably had something to do with it. Wow, a lot of info on dogs today and crazy <laughs> cat people, and probably won't come back to this topic anytime soon but i think the whole dog part because if you went to her home and you didn't want to touch the dog and the dog was bothering you and you didn't want to the dog was smelly right there's going to be a disconnect there so even if you're a cat lover and don't like dogs uh pet the dog <laughs> it might get you that deal yeah and you can wash your hand later if it really bothers you uh-huh that's right <laughs> yeah <laughs> good call 
Well, uh, anything else before we hang it up for the day? Just become competent. Just keep focused. Keep learning until you feel and demonstrate competence in your field. Notice two things. You feel competent and you can demonstrate competence. You do that, it will increase your ability to influence and people will want to be influenced by you. Sounds great, everybody. Make sure you send us your comments, your derogatory remarks, your praise, whatever it is you want to send us to maximize your influence at gmail.com. Subscribe on iTunes. You can hear us on Stitcher Radio as well. And what really helps is if you can leave us your reviews on the iTunes store. So when you go into iTunes, you type in maximize your influence. The podcast comes up, you see it there, and you can leave a review if you're logged into your account. So we want to know what you honestly think and how useful the podcast is because that's what other listeners are always considering if they decide they're going to take some time out of their day to listen to a couple of guys talk about food and insult cat owners and whatever else. So (laughs) we really appreciate that. And we will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Have a great week.